Welcome to Film Logic. We are a podcast that celebrates the movies of past, present, and future with all the fandoms in between. And we're also part of the Retro Logic Network, which is full of geeks and nerds and a few dorks. And we're just a bunch of great guys and gals just celebrating our nerddom and retro games and music. And check our link for the Discord. Uh, I am with Adam, and only Adam today. Adam, hi. Hi, I'm only Adam. (laughs) You are only Adam. Never shall you be anything else. Always have been, always will be. And fun fact, I'm Mike, in case I didn't give my name. So we're both Mike and Adam, and we're here to talk about films. Mm. And nothing is more film-like than what we're about to talk about. I won't spoil it yet. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. it's probably right in the title. It's fine. Yeah, it'll be right on the title and the description. And But, you know, uh, between us, we can suspend our belief. Yeah, no, I'm great at that. <laughs> yes. So how's it going, Adam? It's been a while. It's been a hot minute. You know, summer schedules, you know, getting ready to see some awesome blockbusters that are coming out soon. You know, everyone's keeping it real, and, you know, I, I know that you, you know, you mentioned last time that you and your family had a nice little vacay up north, but you decided to bring some of that great north back with you mm-hmm. in form of a, a, a great miasma outside. Um, for those of you not in the northeast, covered in <laughs> burning fire smoke. That's kind of just been our that's been our our daily reality. Yeah. It, I I woke up this morning to go outside and I thought I was in Silent Hill. Oh yeah, right. I know. You know, Canada is they do their annual ketchup chip roasting, and it got <laughs> it got out of hand. And yeah, now too excited. The Northeast is covered in uh, Silent Hill fog. Yeah, but it smells delicious, just like ketchup. Yep, it definitely does. Um, yeah, uh, don't Google any of this news. Just trust us. That's what happened. Yeah, exactly. To get your news here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, retro news, retro news, news that happened in the past. <laughs> exactly. Some might call that history, <laughs> but not here. Not here. No, nope. nope. we talk about the past as if it's happening today. How's Amen. that Abraham Lincoln doing? He's a I great president. He's low in the polls. Yeah, you know, he's he, <laughs> he's tall, but, you know, he could be taller. Maybe a, a hat. A hat would be look great on him. Absolutely. Hot takes. Hot takes here. <laughs> oh, Let's get you to know, what I we're feel... actually talking about, Mike. Well, you know, I feel like I'm abandoning the ancient podcast technique of uh, stalling for time. <laughs> Uh, but I guess we should get talking to television stuff. Uh, today, we are doing a momentous thing. We are covering Ooh. a little piece called The Mandolin, starring 
Nicholas Cage, Penelope Cruz, and John Hurt, directed by John Madden. Wait, wait, look at my notes. Oh, wait, yeah. that was a typo. The Mandalorian, season three. <laughs> that was that was truly bad. That was my one-off joke. <laughs> I, I told you only one person's going to get it, and it's going to oh, be us. Only one. And now I really want to see this Captain Coriolis mandolin. Directed by John Madden, who I'm hoping is the NFL John Madden. <laughs> the only, the only reason, the only reason I know that reference is, I mean, who isn't an expert on all things Nicolas Cage? And um, hmm. yeah, and hopefully maybe we'll, we'll, this won't be the last time we talk about Nick Cage tonight. Mm-hmm. At least it won't be for me, but... Um, yeah, we're going to talk about The Mandalorian. Uh, yeah, we're, we're going into the hot series. We're we're uh, bowing down to the hashtag, the trend. The trend. And, and we're going to talk about an episodic feature instead of a cinematic feature. Right, right. And But this is definitely one of those shows that kind of blurs the line, right? Like the, mm-hmm. just the, the amount of budget that's blown on CGI and real effects and actors and you name it at this, you know, this is, you know, if anything, if anything is a movie, it's this. Yes. It's one part star Wars, two parts spaghetti Western mm. or, you know, it, they don't have spaghetti in star Wars. So I guess it would be uh Tauntaun guts. <laughs> kind of like spaghetti. Yeah. Right. Close enough. Close enough. Ah, so we're going to talk about Mandalorian Season 3 in our second half, but our first half, I want to know what you're watching. Oh, man, Mike. better be animated. Yeah, right? I mean, (laughs) really, I mean, I don't know if you've seen it yet, Mike, but, man, that new Spider-Verse movie, Hot Diggity Dog, Mm -hmm. that, that thing is a cinematic master piece truly something to behold um yeah it it's it's the first kind of comic book movie that i've sat down and was like oh this is this is a comic book i'm i'm watching a comic book happen mm-hmm. and down to you know one of the opening scenes in the intro they literally play the they show the comic the comic code right you know right on the, yeah. the front of it um and i mean just as the uh as the reviews and the people talking about it have come out in you know recent times i just get more and more amazed about just the the amount of effort that went into the creation of this movie i I saw somewhere that spider punk took it took them two years to figure out how to animate him the way that he's animated um and just the inspiration for for all the the spider men and women and creatures. Right. Um, yeah, th- this movie, I mean, for the spectacle of, of its cinematography alone and animation alone is just brilliant. That's, you know, a lot, a lot of people uh, have the, I don't know if this is a popular opinion, but you know, they say that live action is harder to do. Than animated, and I just don't believe that. Exactly. I, I, no. I think what these these geniuses are doing on computers, and mm. you know, with all the rotoscoping, 
I mean, yeah, it's it's less of actors and actresses doing stuff, but you know, the scientists are busting a hump trying sure. to make these beautiful masterpieces. For sure. And what's even more amazing is each of the the spider people and creatures in the show, the way that they're animated is very, you know, faithful to how they're drawn in their respective comics. Mm-hmm. And um I mean, all of Spider-Gwen's scenes in her universe are this beautiful, like, washed-out watercolor, and I, I just, I, I can't, I can't speak highly enough of this movie. I mean, it's, I mean, so far, at least to me, it's the best enter, you know, the Spider-Verse, it's the best of the Spider-Verse movies so far. To me, it might even be the best Spider-Man movie. It is the best Spider-Man movie. And wow. it's it's the best Marvel movie. It's the best superhero movie, and it maybe 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 the best animated movie of all time. I don't know. That that remains to be seen. <laughs> but it's I, I yeah I I loved every every second of it. It was yeah it was truly amazing. Yeah, you know, a friend once told me that you know. These these comic books, they were made for cartoons because cartoons are bigger than life. Mm. So, you know, you lose something in the translation when it becomes live action. And I, you know, when he said that, it, it kind of clicked. Right. Like, yeah. You can never be faithful to a comic book with live action as much as you can with animated. Right. You know, you might argue with me on that, but there's just so many larger than life things that you can yeah. do in a cartoon that gets lost in translation when you try to do it behind a green screen. No, and, I, I totally agree. Yeah. And honestly, if your movie's going to be 99.9% green screen, you might as well just go animated. <laughs> right. That's what I'm I know. Saying. I mean, I, yeah, you lose Paul Rudd in one of those mocap suits, but that's about it. I'm sure he'd be happy. He wouldn't have to be in one. Right. Right. Um, no, I, I totally agree. And I mean, I think the only thing, and I, I think the, the only thing that I would disagree with you in, mm-hmm. and I think this, even though I'm disagreeing with you, I think it actually bolsters your point, but like yes. all the best live action superhero movies have been all the ones that are quote unquote, the most, been the most realistic. So like winter soldier, um, you know, the, the Batman, Nolan's Batman trilogy, the Batman, you know, the ones that are a little bit more grounded in reality, where there's not you know, purple space aliens flying around. Um, those are the best superhero movies um, because, you know, it's, you know, there's not a, a ridiculous green guy in a, a flying wingsuit with a motorcycle helmet attacking little old ladies as they're mm-hmm. reciting the Lord's Prayer, you know? Right, right. And was I crazy to cringe when Spider-Man... <laughs> <laughs> first showed the the green power ranger uh villain and I, i'm as a i was probably 20 something right i'm like i'm supposed to take this seriously i'm right. supposed to feel threatened by this bad guy and root for the hero right but a part of me is wondering when the big bad beetleborgs are going to show up and beat this guy up right exactly 100 percent agree 100 mm-hmm. percent agree um, and then I, I think the the only other maybe exception to the rule is when it's so ridiculous that it doesn't you can suspend your belief regardless. So like looking at you, Deadpool movies, looking at you, uh-huh. Guardians of the Galaxy, 
you know, where the, the spectacle overrides your, your, your rationale. But yeah, for the most part, I think animated is the way to go. I mean, DC has been proving that for, for years with right. their, their animated stuff. All their stuff is, you know, <laughs> you know, head and shoulders above anything else that they got going on. And yeah, most people don't know about the DCAU, which is loosely connected. Like, mm. They they're trying to keep the same actors. They're trying to make. At one point, they were trying to connect the animated universe, maybe as like a a backup, just in case the live stuff failed. <laughs> but I don't know if they're doing it anymore. But there there is like one, two, maybe three that are all connected. Right, right. Which isn't really a universe. That's really just a trilogy. But right. Mm-hmm. That's either here nor there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, if you haven't, if you guys are listening, you haven't gone to see the Spider-Man across the Spider, or into the Spider-Verse, um, yeah, do yourself a favor, go see this movie, uh, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And maybe I spoke too highly of animated, because <laughs> I wouldn't want a superhero movie that looks like just something uh, DreamWorks just belched out. Uh, yeah. You know, the visuals and the art direction have to be there, too. I mean, right. I guess that's true with any comic books as well. You know, you don't want right. something that looks generic. Right. So I guess yeah. it's all about the looks. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And um, my buddy that I saw it with, he, he probably had the best um, just one-line review for the movie. And he was, he was we were walking out, and he goes, you could have paused that movie at any point, and that could have been an incredible screensaver. <laughs> or... And, you know, I was like, you're right. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And just think, this is a Spider-Man movie based on um, a side project of the Spider-Man universe. Right. Who was part of a dying universe called the Ultimates universe. Uh, everything about this felt like uh, Disney's leftovers. And it was made by guys that really only had, like, Lego movies under their belt. So <laughs> right, right. Everything looked like it could fail, but it works. Right. Yeah, it's... Yeah, truly everything about this, fantastic. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's what I've been watching. What about you, Mike? What have you been watching? Well, speaking of things that are as realistic as a cartoon, <laughs> and part of a greater universe, I saw Fast X or Fast 10, or Fast 10 Your Seatbelt, or I don't know what it's called. But let me tell you, Mm. the review that says, we will never have as much fun watching this movie as Jason Momoa had acting in it is the truest statement. (laughs) So, oh gosh, Uh, where to even begin? Uh, My best explanation is that someone from another country saw like Heath Ledger's Batman um, and fi- like Infinity War, they tried to tell someone else who didn't speak their language about what they saw, and that person tried to explain that to Michael Bay. <laughs> and that's how Fast X came, because it's, it's like Infinity War, but with cars. It's Transformers without robots. And it is just... Uh, it is a, a fruit salad of... Just beating up guys that are in like in SWAT gear. There's tons of that in the movie. 
Um, mm-hmm. Playing soccer with a giant bomb near the Vatican. There was a lot of there was a lot of that in the movie, and just uh, Jason Momoa doing his best Heath Ledger impersonation. Mm. Um, and I, I think one of my favorite reviews is well, okay, I have two favorite reviews, but yeah, one person said uh, Jason Momoa can be Joaquin Phoenix, but Joaquin Phoenix cannot do a Fast and Furious movie, um, which is so true. Like I could see him, I could see Jason Momoa as a Joker because he is just off the wall bananas in that movie. Uh, you know, putting pigtails in his hair, doing cartwheels, saying "OMG, my dudes!" Like just weird stuff like that. <laughs> and he is the most entertaining person to watch. Wow, and that's saying something in a cast with <laughs> Jonathan Cena. Oh, John! John! John Cena is a close second. He plays yeah, like right he plays like this kind of hokey pokey dad who isn't afraid to like snap someone's neck. So he'll be like, oh, "No, no, no!" On. What's his character in the movie? <laughs> Same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like he he plays just like he kind of plays your dad, like jokey, fun. Hey, you two back there, stop swearing! But oh, right. hold on, let me just flip this guy through a table. All right, all right, back to there, and it's just, oh, man. Yeah. Like, I feel like, you know how our complaint is that uh, Doctor Strange had too many voices, too many rewrites, too much intervention? Right. This movie had the opposite. It was first, <laughs> it was first draft. I don't want you to edit it. Okay, we're going to take the first take. There, there doesn't need to be a second take. And, you know, we're just going to scrounge around for CGI assets that haven't been used in a while. And that was the whole, like, gist of the movie. Yeah, no, I heard that before every scene they shot, everybody, including the, cat, the crew, just took shots of laughing gas and just <laughs> went for it. Oh, my gosh. It, it is so true. And... I mean, I guess you need all that stuff because, like, Vin Diesel, I didn't think he could be less emotive than in, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, he brings his character down a notch in emotions for this movie. He's like, how can I be more wooden than Groot? Is that possible? He figures it out. He's like, I can can feel less. Hmm. You know, family is everything. I trust in you, buddy. <laughs> you know, just... Just and, the most weird takes. Yeah, he's he's he gets upset because Jason Momoa, like, chewed up the scenery, destroyed him. Um, but, like, when you're that wooden, I can't blame you. Right. Because when Jason Momoa is painting, some, painting a dead guy's toenails and right. pre- pretending to do voices of the dead cop... You you have no choice, you know. Right, you have no choice but to root for that guy. Yeah. The saddest part is that Fast X is, and they didn't tell anyone in the audience this. Like, there's no right. mention of this. It's part of a trilogy. Yeah. So there's going to be two more. It ends on a cliffhanger. <laughs> and the saddest part is that Jason Momoa might lose. <laughs> Man, it's. That's absolutely insane to me. And 
I mean, there's like my so my buddy uh, who went to go see it. He he told me all about it. Um, he's a huge fan of the whole series, right? And um, I and I I just couldn't justify spending money on it. Like I mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'll see it at some point. But it's to me, it's the perfect shining you know, perfect shining Tower of Babylon or Tower <laughs> of Babel of everything that's wrong with cinema and mm-hmm. like Hollywood. But for whatever reason, these movies just print money. And I, I, for the life of me, I, I cannot understand it. And I, I think I said it somewhere in a chat or somewhere on discord but it's it's such a shame to me that there are a bajillion of these movies, and like you said, this movie hasn't completed its trilogy yet. But they've they're already saying that they're gonna do spinoff movies of this movie, mm-hmm. um, with different characters. But like, we can't get another Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I I think there's like they might have tapped into the algorithm of like this is so trash you have to love it algorithm. Because that is like everybody's review. Everybody on um, Letterboxd says, I know this is trash. I know what I'm looking at is wrong and so (laughs) poor on so many levels. And that is why I love it. And so it's like, it's, you know, it would be like a, like a professional gymnast, but, you know, instead of like getting on the high beam, you know, she totally misses it (laughs) and explodes. It's like a literal car crash. It ends up winning the gold. Right. It's like a literal car crash. You can't keep your eyes off of it. Right. Um, and, I mean, honestly, you know, uh, our, our audience might know this by now, but, you know, me and Mike are big wrestling fans, and it's, it's probably the same thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. we understand, you know, that this isn't real, that this is, mm-hmm. you know, this is the lowest form of art, but there's just something about evan Bourne doing a 540 frog splash off the top rope and you're like yes i'm here for this right you just can't turn your eyes away and for those of you who are thinking man i wish john cena would do the signature moves he's known for in wwe watch fast x you will not be disappointed no does he do a five knuckles shuffle i'm i'm sure i'm sure it's in there i just missed it but he does the f the attitude adjustment oh yeah 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 yeah. pg pg (laughs) that's so great and i just realized that i spent more time talking about fast x than you did about spider-man so what kind of world do we live in adam I mean, it's it's a it's a valid question, and I I love that we we put these two movies together because I don't know if you saw the clip that was making the rounds on the internet, but Michelle Rodriguez, who plays Letty in the Fast Fast movies, um, it was interviewed on the red carpet, and she was saying, "Oh, we don't need another Marvel movie. They're washed up. They're unoriginal. There's too many of them." And, you know, there was backlash against her being like, okay, you know, you're, you're saying all these things, but you're in the Fast and the Furious franchise, you know, the literal definition of excess. But yeah. I mean, Mike, what do you, what do you think about her? What do you think about her comments? What do you, what do you think about, you know, what she said in comparison to Marvel? Do you think they're the same well, thing? That is one kettle that should not be calling a pot black. Right, I for mean, sure. 
they have a Netflix show for kids called <laughs> Fast and Furious Super Spies. So they are definitely chasing the dollar just as aggressively as Marvel. Um, right. Yeah. So and I mean, I I saw a uh, an interview with um, oh, what's his name, Ludacris. And, you know, they, uh, the question was along the lines of like, you know, what do you have to say to people or like, why do you think these movies, like, do you think these movies deserve um, to keep being made? Why do you like all, uh, along those lines? And Ludacris was like, because they make money and that's why they exist. And that's why there's so many, like they yes. make money. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, do we, do we make the Marvel, the Marvel fan? Fan people upset at us if we say the same thing that Marvel's in it for the cash. I don't know. What do you think? I absolutely think that either praise or money is going to get you to make sequels. Um, it's the Harry Potter effect. You know, mm. people love what I do, so I'm never going to stop. When right. I read positive comments, you know, based on the book that I self published, it's like, oh, maybe I should be writing more. Right. Um, you know, everyone's going to chase after what looks like success. No one's no one's on their knees praying like, Lord, give me a sign that we need a new Fast and Furious. One, you know, one that will truly serve humanity. <laughs> As we prayed for the last nine and you have delivered. Uh, no one, <laughs> no one's, no one's saying that. They're all just saying, ah, you know, you know, people will, will scream yay if we make this. Right. I mean, I I have to hand it to Regal. You know, I I wanted to sh- I saw this movie with my my 18-year-old son and I wanted to show him like, you know, we are men of integrity. We're not going to sneak food in there. And then, you know, I go up to the candy thing and I wanted to keep it simple. And so, you know, he buys the small soda for $6 and I'm like, "Haha, I'll pick a water." And the water was $5. And then right. he, he bought this little thing of M&M's, and that was $5. And then I'm like, next time we are sneaking food so hard into this theater. Because <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is straight-up highwayman robbery. Yeah. And, I mean, maybe that's a conversation for a different time. But it, it's so funny to me that, like, movie theaters, like, their loss leader, like – you know, at a normal restaurant, like mm-hmm. places uh, like a loss leader is, you know, where they're, you know, they're, they're putting up things that are, you know, they, they, they lose money on. So, you know, the food at whatever, but then there are things that they secretly mark up that they make so much money. And most restaurants make most of their money on, on drinks, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the, that's the big markup. And it, it's so funny to me that at a movie theater, the movie is the loss leader. Like they <laughs> like like movie theaters don't make money from showing movies; they just don't. Right. And they make money from the concessions, which blows my mind. Right. Right. And there's something there's something backwards about that. Right. You know, a normal person would say we need to change the industry. You know, leaving your house to see movies on a big screen isn't working anymore and they're like no we'll just make eight dollars for a cup of water (laughs) ain't that the truth yeah ain't that the truth um but yeah no i mean i I, i'm i'm bought in i'm addicted i i can't not go to the movie theater so 
Um, I'm all in. Uh, it's, it's special. Um, not to not to spread out our episode, but do you ever? I, I feel this now more than ever with mm. all the hype behind movies. You're sitting in the theater, and the movie's like five minutes in, right? And you get like this nervous feeling. Do I like this? Do I not like this? Right. Am I trapped here? <laughs> I mean, I sometimes sometimes it depends on what the movie is, but yeah, for sure, I, I I've been there. I get that around hyped movies, like. You know, okay. the new Spider-Man. I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to like this. Come on. Enjoy. <laughs> There's so much pressure for you to like yeah, it. I have to like this. Otherwise, I'm going to be the guy who's missing out. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you, the existential crisis that you have uh, whenever you go see something that people like, I can't even fathom. I, I feel so bad for you, buddy. You should. That's why, like, I... I really don't want to know what's out there. I just want to stumble upon things and <laughs> then I'll have like the best the best like review of them. Guys, guys, I just discovered this incredible movie. It's called Endgame. Have you heard about it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, oh, I think it's based on a Philip K. Dick sci fi book. <laughs> you know? <laughs> incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, one last point and then we can, we can move on, but, um, why do you think movies like, like Fast X are making hundreds of millions of dollars and, you know, we, we get movies then that, that release, you know, like later this summer, like we're going to get Oppenheimer and we're going to get Barbie and, you know, pretty soon we're going to get Wes Anderson's new movie, Asteroid City. Um, and, you know, these movies won't even come into the same atmosphere in terms of money made as Fast X. Why do you, why do you think that is? You know, there's a whole, like, college course probably on this. Probably. There's, I don't know, something, something about low-hanging fruit yeah. and, like, the laziness of rediscovery. Like, why should your brain have to get sucked into like some new universe created from scratch when it can go to something comfortable like Vin Diesel and his friends racing around. Right. His tank top. It probably has a lot to do with that. Yeah, for sure. Like it's, you know, it's the, the comfort TV show effect, right? Like, yeah. You know, like, why, why risk watching bones when you know that you like friends and you can just watch it over and over and over again. Right. And you know, the the movie that won the the Oscar, like it's Everything not making work. money like the Marvel Universe. Sure, be- because you know people are like, oh man, yeah, I have to understand this movie. I have to get sucked into its universe. I right. have to suspend my disbelief, and you know, I have to be on the up and up about characters. You know, my brain has to do all this, you know, acrobatics to get into this movie. When I have something that's episodic, like a universe where I already know half the stuff, and I can just slide right in and just pick up where I left off. Right. Right. And you kind of take it at your own pace. Yeah. No, I, 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 totally, I totally agree. Um, no, I, and I, I think it's, it's interesting, you know? Um, so I, I guess really what it comes down to is you know, what is the measure of success for you and for a movie, right? Like, is is a movie that makes hundreds of millions of dollars, but, you know, is morally bankrupt, like <laughs> Fast X, 
Or is that a good movie because it made a lot of money? Or, you know, is, you know, Everything Everywhere All at Once uh, a superior movie and it won an Oscar because it's artsy or, you know, Moonlight or La La Land? Like, mm-hmm. are these movies, is, you know, who's to say that La La Land is a better or worse movie than Fast X? And I guess that's, right. that's why it's it's so, so individual. And right. We made a whole career out of people judging movies, right. and yet, who's to like? Why should we trust? Uh, why should we trust Leonard Malton? Or, or you know, <laughs> what over, a deep cut. <laughs> yeah, why should we trust him? Right. Over this other guy, you know, over your best right. friend. Right. 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 And I mean, we all had friends growing up that like saw the movie before everybody else, right? Because they had, Mm -hmm. you know, rich parents or parents that would let them watch PG-13 movies, even though we're all, like, 11. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, they would always tell you about the movie. But when you went to go see it, you're like, they didn't, what? What are are they talking about? Mm -hmm. Um, That wasn't even close to, I don't know what they were saying, but, yeah, I mean, I guess that's what makes movies so subjective, right? Right. Yeah, and, and why we can't judge Michelle Rodriguez too harshly? Mm-hmm. Like in her world, um, a yearly offering of people in cars, uh, like playing soccer ball with giant bombs, is normal. But like, people in spandex are not normal. Not normal. Yeah. Right. And I don't know. At, at and I know that we, you know, some people will accuse us of of being in this camp, but it definitely felt like a, a flip got switched in the last, you know, five years or so that it suddenly became really cool and trendy to, like, just hate on Marvel for whatever reason. And, you know, it's... it's mm-hmm. I don't know, it's... And, I mean, trust me, I've been there. I mean, for every, you know, Into the Spider-Verse or, um, you know, Infinity War, there's an Ant-Man in the quant- in Quantum Mania, whatever. Um, so, I mean, it definitely has its valid critiques, but, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, at some point, it just became cool to, to make fun of Marvel, even when your franchise is as morally bankrupt. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it's it's the idea of it being so prevalent. Mm-hmm. You know, as a kid, you couldn't have, like, soda whenever you wanted it. So when right. soda came out, it was like amazing. Right. Well, it was a game changer. It made your whole day. But now you right. can have soda everywhere. It's so easy to get. You probably right. have like six different liters to open in your pantry. Right. And now it's like, uh, you know, this this soda really needs to be special if it's gonna even <laughs> move move my happiness meter even an inch. Uh, otherwise it's just wasting my time. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was I was having a discussion um because they recently there have been some rumors about who's gonna be directing, you know, the next Avengers movie and um I think Sam Raimi's name has been a, a front runner for that. And I you know, in a discussion with people, I was like, guys, I know that I'm supposed to like the original Spider Man trilogy and I know that I'm supposed to like you know, multiverse of madness, but I I'm not the biggest fan of Sam Raimi as a 
as a spider as like a spider-man director or as a superhero director i just feel like he doesn't get it and like he's don't get me wrong evil dead um you know he does art how art art house horror better than almost anybody but mm-hmm. i don't know it just it just felt kind of cheesy when he was doing corny when he was doing spider-man and um mm-hmm. And yeah, no, I I guess that's all to say, you know, um, you know, some back back then Spider Man was like do we do we are we guilty of looking back and seeing Spider Man at that time and us thinking, Oh yeah, this was really good because that's all we had and mm-hmm. are we tricking ourselves into thinking that like, oh yeah, X Men or X one, X two and X three were good movies. Right. You know, or because that's all we had. Um, and, like, I I would say that, like, even, uh, you know, a bad, you know, even Thor Love and Thunder now is better than, I don't know, Spider-Man 3. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have a few varying opinions. Mm. Sometimes on the directors, they don't understand the less is more. Right. You know, so when a movie, it tries to show less, but, like, it's more meaningful. I'll take that over, like, a huge, like, uh, fruit salad buffet. Right. Which a lot of Marvel movies are. Like, we we judge a good movie in the Marvel Universe by how much crap can get loaded into it. Like, uh, you know, there's there's 18 jokes followed by 18 sad scenes by 20, you know, Easter eggs. Right, right. And it's just like, oh, that was good because, you know, because there was a quantity. It was in bulk. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. No, totally, totally agree. Um, mm-hmm. So, Mike, it seems we're at a crossroads now. Shall we go into our, uh, shall we talk about maybe our favorite trilogies really quickly and then get into the, the Mandalorian? Or, I don't know, what are you feeling? Uh, trilogies would be amazing to talk yes. about because there's not that many. Mm. So we have to be careful in the ones we choose. Right, right. And I guess before we get into this, how how serious are you defining your uh you know by trilogies, right? So like Star Wars is known for being a movie series of trilogies, right? It's literally mm-hmm. made up three individual trilogies and you know a couple of spin-offs here and there. Um, so, I mean, do you, you know, would you say that Lord of the Rings, like, is that a trilogy, right? Like the, the Fellowship, Two Towers, and Return of the King, but because they have mm-hmm. the Hobbit stuff, is it, is that still a trilogy or, you know, what is your, what is your definitive? Well, that's definitive? the thing is no one wants mm-hmm. trilogies anymore. They always want to add stuff. Right. So, I mean, uh, I could say the Matrix trilogy, but then they added a Matrix. So do we mean the old Matrix without including the new Matrix? Or the Animatrix. Yeah. Or do we just, like, do we include the fourth one? Right. Right, exactly. Um, Where does it it end? Like, you know, (laughs) for sure. And, I mean, I, and at least for me, my working definition is, you know, uh, a movie, a, a trilogy is movies that were made with a, a defined story and uh, characters that um, are told over the course of three movies. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously. But then, um, I think, but with the idea that of, of it just being those three movies. So, like, 
you know, at some point we're going to get some other Back to the Future stuff. But like yeah. the Back to the Future trilogy was written and thought of and conceived of as like a trilogy. So, I mean, at least for me, my my favorite trilogy of all time that I could watch all day, daily, nightly, um, is the Indiana Jones trilogy, right? The original, the original three. I know that there's a fourth and a fifth that have come out, but you know, the those three movies were conceived as you know those three mm-hmm. those things were were added and tacked on. Um, and there's just something magical that happens on film when you combine John Williams and uh, Steven Spielberg and um your oh, good old Hansel I mean Indy and Indiana Jones <laughs> Harrison Ford um and yeah it it, it just kind of hits everything that I love uh I love now and as a kid like I was, I am and was obsessed with history so I loved the the idea of you know the the, the archaeology and the the discovery and I was like oh yeah like I know about the pyramids or Oh, I remember, you know, whatever it is, like it, 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 it just sparked a, the curiosity in me and the, the desire to explore. And I mean, Indiana Jones is just so cool, right? Like there's the, you know, the, the wise cracks, the, the whips, the, the, the debonair tuxedos, he's running behind a giant gong and falling through a bunch of, you know, mm-hmm. overhangs. Um, he was just so effortlessly cool and, um, but he was also super smart and, he made being smart cool to me, and um, I was like, oh, wow, like, I can be interested in nerdy things, but also it can be cool, and I can get the girl, and, you know, I can punch Nazis in the face, and, um, uh-huh. yeah, it just, they, they just spoke to me, and, um, yeah, I, I love Indiana Jones, so for me, that'll always be my favorite favorite trilogy, and, I mean, of course, mm-hmm. I mean, I think there are some obvious answers, like Lord of the Rings, I think I'm, I'm on the record saying those are my favorite movies. Um, but I feel like that was that was pretty low hanging fruit, so I, I went with Indiana Jones. Yeah, those are good. Now, Adam, how do you feel about what the internet is talking about for the first Indiana Jones movie? Mm. The Indiana Jones didn't have to do anything; he could have just waited until the Nazis opened up the Ark. And it... Yeah, right. It would have been totally fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I love that, but I I don't think that it fundamentally changes the story because mm-hmm. um i solidly believe that um for the in the first movie indiana jones his the character is supposed to be us right like we're supposed to be mm-hmm. like we're experiencing everything that indiana jones is experiencing it's from his point of view um so he kind of takes the place like he's the viewpoint for the audience and okay fine like his choices and his actions didn't fundamentally change anything but that wasn't his. That wasn't the point of his character. His point of his character was to give us an inside look at the adventure that was happening and just yeah. being along for the ride. And um, you know, I, I might be wrong about that. And you know, maybe you like your characters to have a little bit more agency. But you know, realistically, like who cares? It's fun. Yeah, I mean, logically, there's there's nothing wrong because it's not like you know Indiana Jones knew that was going to happen right so it would be it wouldn't make less sense if he's if he's like nah i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna sit this one out <laughs> right that right. would make a horrible movie and yes it's cool that the archaeology is sound because that is the biblical use of the ark so 
you know, green lights all around for me. Oh, absolutely. And not to mention John Williams' score on that. It's just absolutely iconic. It's so mm. good. Now, the thing I will not tolerate is <laughs> when Indiana Jones gets on the sub that's about to descend. Yeah. And it goes underwater, it goes across half the world, and then you see it the, the sub the Nazi sub rise and he just kinda like I don't know. He's just like straightening his tie and he's like, Well that was a you know, that was a ride. That was interesting. And did he hold his breath for yeah, probably. twelve hours? Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> that's Harrison Ford. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> right. That or I will he... not tolerate in my movies. <laughs> Right, or when he survives a nuclear explosion inside of a fridge. Yep. Uh, yeah, we love that. We love that. Um, so I'm going to go with my trilogies. Mm. Um, you know, I the one that's like easy on the eyes, easy on the brain, um, but still smart and clever is Back to the Future. Yeah, so like, good. Even for being a time travel movie, like it's understandable science. Mm. The characters are not like there there's not like such a huge cast of characters that like you're trying to do that whole like how Pirates of the Caribbean got so complicated right in the third one that it was like you you have to like have a flow chart just to understand it right like, back to the future is part of like we're just here to follow these characters into new adventures so you know, for my easy, easy watching, I would have to say Back to the Future trilogy. For my, hey, I stumbled upon some cool sci-fi, I would have to go for the new Star Trek um, movies because they they took something and they made they made it accessible to fans to enjoy. Mm. Like the first, like Star Trek was never about like huge character building, but the first movie made you care about the characters and made you feel something, made them more than scientists and engineers. Right. And then like the second one kind of continued in that, but it also made it like, they had like a smart plot that I still don't understand, but you know, one day I'm going to get enough guts. Right. To ask. Yeah. To ask. And then the, (laughs) The third one said, hey, Star Trek has never been an action, like, go crazy, um, you know, Fast and Furious type ride. You know, let's right. see what... And they did that. And it was actually done by the Fast and Furious director. Oh, well and behold. Yeah. So, I, you know, I can watch those easily and just be like, yes, I'm watching something quality. Yeah. Um, but all of that pairs, pales in comparison to the Batman Begins trilogy. Oh, yeah. I uh, mean, yeah, you know, it doesn't get better. Batman Begins was the only movie where when the credits rolled, I just sat there with my jaw, you know, dropped open. Because it was right. just so clever and it was so it was so realistic and it made it, I don't know, it just, it, like, it blew my little mind. Um. And then he topped himself with, you know, Heath Ledger. Yeah. And then he went a little backwards with the third one. But, you know, I was. That's neither here nor there. It it had to end somehow. Right. And, no, I I totally agree. And I think a lot of it had to do with there was just nothing out at that point that was anything in, you know, in the ballpark of that. Right. Because, like, up Mm -hmm. until that point, we got in Iron Man and we got in 
you know, various X-Men movies and, you mm. know, the the Batman movies that came before it were met with varying levels of, of, of camp and success. Um, mm-hmm. But Nolan's trilogy really, I mean, it, it kind of redefined the genre and it kind of kick-started the whole gritty, real... Um, superhero thing that we're seeing the 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 fruit of nowadays with like the boys and um in mm-hmm. of course the, those comic books existed beforehand but um i feel like they wouldn't have gotten as much of a green light as if if nolan hadn't you know taken right. a risk on you know year one and you know the you know all you know all the the all those you know comics that he got inspired by and, and made those into into movies and yeah where would we be without him yeah there, there is something about like taking something so fantasy driven yeah and making it so like logical and rational and talking shop about it right. just like you know just alfred talking about how many um helmets they have to order in order to keep this the batman gig under wraps and like testing bullets on the the chest plate, and you know, talking about the bottom line. I'm uh, not wearing hockey pads. Yeah, just like uh, you know, when they talk, they talk like this could actually be happening. Right. Like, there's something so cool about that. For sure. For sure. And I mean, even when he's fighting Rachel Ghoul on a frozen lake, you're like, this could happen. I could do this. Right. Like less um, is more. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Um so Mike, uh, we talked about some really solid actual trilogies. How do you feel about I don't know if you've heard of the phrase uh like uh you know uh like the internet kind of approved uh trilogies of movies that aren't actual trilogies. Um for for example, um have you heard of something called the uh the Cornetto trilogy. No. So you know Simon Pegg, you know Edgar Wright. Yes. So and you know their their movie Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz. Right, and right. The World's End. So uh, you know, the people on the internet jokingly claim this is a trilogy uh, just because they have the same actors in them, same directors, mm-hmm. and they kind of like jokingly are saying like uh and because they each in each of those movies they reference the uh the British snack Cornettos that this that yeah. these are all you know with, exist within the same universe, um, right? Uh, some other famous ones. Um, there's uh, uh, one called um, based around the story of Dunkirk, called the Dunkirk trilogy, where um, it, it takes place with the first movie, The Darkest Hour, which won six, uh, just got six Oscar nominations about Winston Churchill and like the politics behind what happened at Dunkirk. And then the yes. actual movie Dunkirk, and then um, the next movie uh, taking place like on in Great Britain at the time of um, while Dunkirk was happening over in France, and that movie is called uh, no, what, where is it? It's gone. Uh, what was it? Darkest Hour. Tim Mandolin. Yeah, um, 
no, uh, darkest or yeah, darkest or darkest hour, um, was the first one, Dunkirk, and then the other one was why can't I find it? Um, oh my goodness, where were? Oh, uh, I found it. Their finest. That's what it was. Their um, finest, um, which is very good. Um, with uh, what's your what's your name? Uh. Do, 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 uh, from Captain America. Uh... <coughs> uh, but yeah, so those three movies, unofficially the Dunkirk trilogy. And then maybe my favorite trilogy out of all of them, uh, the Nick Cage trilogy, uh, where they people say that Face Off, The Rock, and Con Air are all uh, an unofficial trilogy. Um yeah. I don't know if you've heard. Have you heard about this phenomenon where people like put three movies together and say, "Oh, this is an unofficial trilogy." You know, I've heard similar theories, but you go first on your theory, and then I'll explain my theory. Um, yeah, so like I, I love the the idea of the unofficial trilogy, um, especially if it's like semi plausible. Um, I, I think my, maybe my favorite, and I don't think this is necessarily a trilogy, but I love the idea of James Bond being in The Rock. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, so I, I, my, my favorite unofficial trilogy, I guess would be the Nick Cage one. And I mean, the, the only, the real, the only connecting thread between all of them is just how, you know, insane Nick Cage is, and he just plays these unhinged characters. That's the only real common thread. Mm-hmm. But um, I just love the idea that, you know, Nick Cage exists as this universal being, and these stories all happen in the same universe to the same universal being, and he's experiencing it sub- subsequently. <laughs> he's the Marvel Watcher. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um. So here's something crazy that I heard. And that is that, um, so Neo, when he's getting Mm. hooked up and they're downloading all these programs. Interesting. um, One of the programs is the John Wick program. Oh, yeah, I've heard this. I've heard this. So it trained him how to be, how to use guns, how to do judo. It was like a tutorial, which taught him how to be Neo. And then, you know, when he... When he finally uh, finishes downloading, like he's lived the whole John Wick program, and that is what made him Neo. Interesting. He kind of comes back. Mm-hmm. No, I I like that. I mean, I I could see you know some of the common threads. Lawrence Fishburne being in both. Yes. You know, kind of also, you know, leading a, a secret underground resistance to a shadowy overhead pseudo government, quasi government mm-hmm. conspiracy. You know, and uh, yeah, where his origins are kind of unconfirmed, but he's seemingly unkillable, all powerful. Yeah, I I love it. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's a I think that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Good yeah. talk. Yeah, trilogies, man. Now to now to get into Star Wars and the Mandalorian. Yes, man. So uh, yeah, it's Adam, I'm going to come out with. Uh-oh. This huge confession. Uh oh. And that is. Uh oh. You know, the Mandalorian um, is something that I am struggling to care about as much as people who absolutely love it. Mm. 
there there was a time season one where I'm like, I am set for the ride, you know, Star Wars, Spaghetti Western, um, gunfights, cute baby. Um, you know, it's it's all there. It's I love it. And then the other seasons came out and I'm like, eh. And, you know, it was just a summer romance. It was a it was a fling. You know. I don't think I love it as much, but other people are like, this is you know, this is genius. This is, I love this. This is wonderful. Mm. No, I, I, I do. I do not blame you. Um, yeah. I, I think a lot of people have shared a similar sentiment this season. And I, I think I have a, a theory about that, but um, you know, I, I want to say I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the season. I think, in part because um, I watched it all at once, um, mm-hmm. and, and instead of you know episodically, and I, I think that that's fundamentally the the problem I think Disney and, and Star Wars are are facing right now is because they're they're allegedly trying to release stuff as episodically. But the way that they're writing and creating their seasons, it's not episodic. And I think that's why the first season was so good, was because they released it episodically and they wrote it episodically. And it felt like an episodic story, like a storyline, right? Like each episode was different. It was like, okay, like we're going to see, you know, what Space Dad and, you know, Baby Frog are up to this week. And it it was just awesome because... One, it felt like there were no strings attached, right? Like you didn't right. need to watch you didn't need to watch four different TV shows with eight, you know, eight seasons each of you know the Clone Wars and Rebels, and yeah, right. you didn't need to watch you know the prequel trilogy. You didn't know, need to know who Dave Filoni is. Yeah, um, you could just enjoy you know this space cowboy and his little son and. Um, right. It, it was it was so great and yeah and there was of course a season long story that was being told but you know it was it kind of that story kind of took a backseat until the finale to just the fun little adventures that they were on you know as bounty mm-hmm. hunters and you know I think season two kind of stuck to the uh, a similar you know, a similar um, vibe. I think it, it it did step up the the storyline as a whole. Um, like, it, it was more intentional with a storyline. It wasn't as episodic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's kind of where they lost the plot in yeah. the third season. You know where it lost me in the second one? Mm. Is I think in the second one, they're like, oh, man, we got to do more throwbacks. You know, we're right. we're losing we're losing our uh, loyal fan base. You know, we're gonna throw in a Luke Skywalker, um, the, you know that that very pretty Jedi girl with the the horns kind of hair. Yeah, you know, we need a couple of her in there. You know, we yeah. gotta we gotta throw in this guy and this guy. Drop a few hints here, and you know, oh, we gotta throw in the original Boba Fett. You know, you right. gotta make him a big deal. And that's where it's kind of for me. That's where it's like okay. This is not, this is not my me enjoying a universe uh, with everyone. This is me kind of coming late to the party and asking 
you know, why is this important? Why is this important? Right. And so, you know, it kind of lost me on season two. And then, you know, season three, I'm trying to restore my faith. Right. Right. And at least for me, I liked season two and season three, but for a Mm -hmm. different reason than I liked season one. I liked season two and season three because I like, I spent time watching Rebels and I spent time watching Clone Wars. And I was like, oh, I know that when they name drop Thrawn in season three, I'm like, oh, that's a big deal because I know that in, you know, Rebels, he was like the main villain. And I know that he disappeared at the season, the, the show finale with Ezra Bridgers. And I know that they're both gone. And and if that means if you know Thrawn is back, that means Ezra is back, and he's a Jedi, and he could probably train Grogu. But I also know that like they were also referencing him possibly coming back because they showed these space whales that I'm sure confused people who had no idea what was going on. Why there are these space whales flying through hyperspace right. with Space Dad? And if you hadn't seen the season finale of Rebels, you'd be like, why are there whales in space? And I, I, I get it. I get it. I totally understand. Or, mm-hmm. um, you know, or, or like, it definitely felt like in the third season also that Mando kind of definitely took a back seat to a lot of the other characters, where he, right. he wasn't the main character anymore. They're calling and, it the Bo-Katan series. Right. In and season three. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. Love Bo-Katan. I thought her character was great. But it, it the season three of Mandalorian it it didn't really it really felt like a an eight episode arc of like Dave Filoni setting up the Ahsoka show setting up you know future shows as opposed to we're just doing the Mandalorian right I know how people feel getting baited like that mm. like I I when I found out um, so IGN d- yeah. says that. Uh, the second season felt like the completion of the Mandalorian. You know, he gives yeah. the baby to Luke Skywalker. He finished his mission. He beat the bad guy. You know, the end credits. We don't need to see anything. And then the Mandalorian did this funny thing where you have to watch the Boba Fett series to, to enjoy the cliffhanger that was season two of Mandalorian. Right. So you have homework. And then, you know, I didn't know about this homework. So going into season three, I'm like, okay, it's going to be a season without the baby. Oh, that's a very creative and interesting. uh, And then I see the baby there and he's like, everyone's acting like nothing really happened. Right. And I felt so cheated. I felt like this, like, what's the point in, you know, feeling that, that tension when... You know, I hate when they do that in comic books. They're like, you know, to finish this story of Superman, you got to read Teen Titans. And it's like, no, I don't want to read Teen Titans. I want to read Superman. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, it's, to me, that felt like a low blow. I know we, t- we, we talk about, like, the unnecessary homework to enjoy something. And I was just a little disappointed that Mandalorian is within that... You know, that's big homework. Eight, eight, nine episodes of the Boba Fett book. Sure, yeah. You know, no. what if I don't like Boba Fett? Then I lose out. <laughs> right. I know, right. like, to Disney, they don't... They, 
the idea that a Star Wars fan could hate anything that comes out of Disney is a blasphemy in and of itself, but it's, it's there, you know, we don't love everything that's right. That's come out. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And yeah. And I, I think it's, you know, the, uh, how, what I was saying at the beginning, um, the, the problem I think that Disney is, is facing with the, the shows and not only just with, you know, the Mandalorian, but with her Marvel shows, and why I think I don't know if you saw, but they're for the new upcoming Marvel series. Um, not mute. Uh, I forgot what it's called. Speak. I can't remember. Um, but it's about that mute uh, hero or the mute character from Hawkeye. I don't know if you saw Hawkeye. Um, no. But there's a character. She's like a bad guy, but she's mute, and mm-hmm. um, so they're giving her a spinoff show. And but that's going to be the first show that Disney has released all at once, as opposed to episodically. So I, you know, I'm curious to see if Disney has also done the math like I have, and and just like "Eh, this episodic thing isn't really working. Um, Right. And and you know, it's kind of put two and two together. But you know, I I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to be a Debbie Downer on. No, the Mandalorian the the whole time. I mean, I do want to talk about things that I really did enjoy. I, I, I do think that the in uh, if anything is going to get you to finish out the season, you know, the last three episodes are just a, a feast for the eyes. Truly, like the the mm-hmm. action and the C, you know the CGI and the the action sequences are are truly you know second to none. I mean, there's um. You know, a sequence where a bunch of Mandalorians are jetpacking into a giant cave to fight other um, jetpack-clad troopers, and there's just a big aerial battle, and you're like, how, what, this is insane, this is everything, you know, the the visual of, you know, the excitement of, like, what makes Star Wars so awesome was fully on display there, right? Like, you love Star Wars because of the giant ship battles right or yeah you know, the, or the you know the clones running into battle against the you know the the droids or the big flashing lights and there's a ton of that in the last like three episodes um and you're just like why why didn't you give us this you know through the whole thing and um yeah i think it's also telling um what shows um what star wars shows have had success and what star wars shows haven't had success, and you know I'm speaking of shows like Andor, and you know the first season of um, Boba Fett, um, or Boba Fett, the first season of The Mandalorian, maybe the second season too, as opposed to how people have received the book of Boba Fett, and you know the third season of The Mandalorian, mm-hmm. and some other stuff where I, I. You know, I think the difference is that with Andor, like they, they of course they release those episodically, but they wrote the whole show as a whole show, and then they picked points to break up. Or as opposed yeah. to the Mandalorian, it felt like they they individually wrote eight episodes and then tried to find a way to make all eight episodes fit together, and right. it just kind of feels like a disjointed kind of puzzle that sort of makes sense together. 
but mm-hmm. if you're not on top of it, you can like lose track pretty easily. Right. And that's what happens when you get a new writer every episode. Right. Or a new director. And yeah. Um, and you know, I think some directors did better than others. Like I think Bryce Dallas Howard did uh, an awesome job. Um, I, I think that um, the episodes that um, of course, uh, uh, not Dave Filoni. Um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Don Favreau directed and wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, were of course really great, but um, yeah, I, I think some some people just kind of grasped the uh, grasped the material better than others. Absolutely. Now, apparently, this all is trying to feed into the new trilogy mm. <clears throat> like it's trying to uh open up to what would, what would later become like the new the new republic and the bad guys and kylo ren and all that stuff right right um would you say that's like it's working like does it all fit together for you or would you um, say it's yeah, just I mean, more garbage yeah. <laughs> i mean they're they're definitely trying to they're definitely trying to make connections to the new trilogy to try to save it with people um i mean they they name drop characters from the new trilogy the one of the characters you meet later on um his name is Hux he's apparently mm-hmm. like the older brother or the dad of Hux from the uh, the trilogy um they also um you find out that uh um, Moff Gideon is like cloning himself, and he found a way using mm-hmm. um, Grogu's uh, blood and DNA to give himself force sensitive powers to his clones. So that is, of course, paving the way to like things like Operation Cinder, which is, of course, the cloning program for um, what will become Darth Sidious and all those clones and stuff that we meet later on in the new trilogy. So they're, they're trying. Um, and I, I think the problem is, um, I think the, the, the fans that have been around since the original trilogy or kind of mm-hmm. got grandfathered in with um, the prequels are just have, it just feels like there's, there's not a whole lot of general goodwill towards the new trilogy and um, I don't know. I, I think that they run the risk of alienating the fan base a little bit more if they continue to try to push the uh, push the agenda. But if there's anyone that can fix that can fix the the new trilogy, it's Dave Filoni because he fixed the prequel trilogies. Because you know, back in the day, it used to be you know people did, almost didn't like the prequel trilogies as much as they d- dislike the new trilogy now, but. Because of you know Clone Wars and the the, the work that Dave Filoni put in, people mm-hmm. kind of look back on those things more fondly now. So if anyone's going to save it, it's him. Yeah, um, that was the thing that I did not understand. So Moff Ooh. Gideon, big bad guy, right? He was the the heart of season two. Like his his whole thing was I need Gragu. Yeah, um, and you know the it it led to the standoff at the end. And so good. He had he had the the child, right. and you know he almost had him at gunpoint, and then all of a sudden he's like, you know, fine, take him. And I'm right. like, really, really, you just 
he just gives up the child and I'm like, and like he kind of becomes pointless near right. the finale for the second one. And I'm like, I was supposed to be invested in this, in this battle between good and evil. And then he, they kind of like, kind of just dropped it. And I'm like, why, right. why, why go through this huge battle to steal the baby and then just kind of give up at the last second. Right. And they kind of do the same thing in season three with the dark saber. Um, mm-hmm. They spend so much time, um, you know, hyping up Din Djarin with a dark saber. Well, does Bo-Katan have the right to rule Mandalore without it or with it? You know, does, you know, can Din give, just give her the dark saber, all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, spoilers towards the end. And, you know, I'm sorry, Mike, you didn't get to the end. But, you know, in the last episode, they just break the Darksaber. It's just broken. It doesn't matter. It gets crushed and then blown up. Like, it's just gone. And they don't even spend a second thought on it. Um, so it, it, it's like, what, what was the point of this? You spent yeah, like all the- this time building this up and you just throw it away. So yeah, like the Mandalorian has like these items of priceless worth, whether right. it's like Gragu's purpose or the dark saber. And then mm-hmm. like, like I feel like the writers get so nervous, like oh, uh, uh, you know, there's too much pressure on this, too much pressure. Just kill it. <laughs> you know? Let's get rid of it. Just drop yeah. it. Yeah, right. And you know, I, you know. I totally agree, and um, I, I really do. It does seem like when they get into a fourth season that they're going to make it more episodic. It it, it seems that way. It, they kind of tie up a lot of ends with, you know, Bo-Katan, and that kind of sets up, they give Grogu and Din, um, you know, a, a nice base of operations to, to, to work from, and they, they set it up at the end like he's um, going to be, uh, you know, a bounty hunter for the, the New Republic, and He's going to help, um, you know, in that way. So, uh, you know, hopefully the, you know, the coming season will be a little bit more episodic. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that as long as they keep the the writing and directing cast together and they keep the just the awesome cast of characters and actors that they have together, um, it's, you know, it's still going to be very, very must-see TV. Mm-hmm. But, um you know, just because they have that um, doesn't mean that they shouldn't um, be careful. Because I think if they have too many seasons, like season three, I think they might lose yeah. some some goodwill. So that's great. Everyone's getting all the the hype, and they're they're getting the connections. Um, I got stuck on the mm. selling point of this, mm. and I thought, you know, it was cool in the first season. You have this tough. Clint Eastwood type bounty hunter, you know, the Jason Bourne of space, right? Right, right. And, you know, he finds this cute, adorable CGI puppet, you know, kind of like a less mischievous baby Groot, but with psychic powers. Um, You know, a space and Bourne, if you will. Yes. And, you know, it was like peanut butter and jelly. It it worked. It it went together. Um, and I went into that the season three with that same expectation. Sure. But then I, you know, Gragu f- felt more like an adorable fraggle in <laughs> season three. It's so much to the fact that like, I had to like tell my brain, okay, this is not 
Jim Henson's Muppet Babies, okay? Right, right. I know your brain keeps telling you it is because you see this this cute little thing doing acrobatic circles in the air and going Google Gaga um, right next to this guy who shoots people for a living. But, right. you know, I had to constantly say, my, you know, you have to take this serious, Mike. This is a serious Star Wars. And then you'd see the baby, like, jump and go, la la. <laughs> and then and then you know there's that scene where he has to climb into this tiny hole to talk to this cute mouse that has like this weird dialect that's cuter than any yoda and, and I'm he like, tries okay. to eat him <laughs> yeah and it's just like all right there's there's just no way i my brain cannot take this seriously yeah like, I, I don't know how you star wars fans do it like how do you do that like uh, I, I tried to think of like well if I, what if i made a terminator yeah. But then I had like a baby beaker who goes meep, meep, meep. It followed right. that Terminator around. Like, how yeah. serious would you take it? Right. No, it, it's totally valid. And I, I think that fundamentally that's the struggle of being a, a Star Wars fan mm-hmm. is that inherently Star Wars was created for kids, right? Like, yeah. it's, it was it was designed for kids age, you know, 8 to 15. And mm-hmm. the problem is those kids that it was made for from eight to 15 grew up to be 35 year olds and they, they want 35 year old stories. You know, they, they want the morally ambiguous, you know, bounty hunter. They, they want, you know, the sex, drugs and rock and roll. Right. But star Mm -hmm. Wars is never going to be that. Right. And, and I, I think that it's, I think it's disingenuous to, to want to expect that from star Wars. Because, you know, it's it's never going to, it's not going to be that. I think you can tell really serious, really mature stories like Andor mm-hmm. or Rogue One and um, right. stuff like that. But, like, that's never going to be the norm. And uh, I think that, you know, people are going to be disappointed um, if, they, if that's the, the only expectation. So I think conversely, like, if you go into it being like, I understand that this is, you know, designed for kids. And I want to enjoy it as, like, I want to tap into that, you know, joyfulness, that kid joyfulness. Um, then I think you're going to have a, a completely different mindset. And I think that there's good equal, there's a good balance of that. And I think in the third season of The Mandalorian, I think there's a couple of spots where, like, I really loved when Din Djarin gets captured um, when they go back to Mandalore. And Grogu mm-hmm. has to go back and, you know, save his save his dad. And he has to like make his way back to the ship and fly it back, and then find you know Bo-Katan. And I feel like I was like, oh yeah, the the character has grown since season one. Like he's more mature. He's more he's he's more independent. So I think mm-hmm. that was really great. Um, and then it's it also gets really bad when he's just not in an entire episode, but he's just hanging out with Lizzo and Jack Black, and the episode is just Din Djarin and Bo-Katan being you know procedural cops on law and order um (laughs) and it's just like okay like grogu's supposed to be in this he's the main character um but i think i think it's kind of redeemed at the very very end um there's like a sequence where you know din jaren is fighting a group of imperial guards and he does it with the help of grogu and they work together and it kind of shows how Grogu is, you know, grown to the point where he can, he's not just the damsel in distress, right? Like, he's fully capable of being a warrior just like his dad, and they they work together, and it's like, oh, it's like this awesome, like, 
completion of this arc of of Grogu's maturity. So I think that there's awesome story beats that are really great, but just mm-hmm. as, just as many moments of those, there are Grogu just trying to eat a little small monster that's trying to help him, like right. or you know him getting in. I don't know if you saw this part, but they um, they resurrect IG Eleven and mm-hmm. Grogu gets to be inside of it and. Yeah. They give him a button that just says yes or no, and he just presses yes and no for all its comedic worth uh, over, like, two episodes. You're just like, it was funny, haha, the first time, and now it's haha, sad. Yeah. Like, it's, like it's, not as, it's not as funny, but they ride that joke uh, for all it's worth. But Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think for every high, there's an equal low. So, I don't know. I, I, I'm hopeful. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I get that, like, Disney created something that is one part, like, pure Star Wars lore. Like, this is the old country buffet of Star Wars storytelling. Right. And on the other hand is, like, the little something for the girlfriend, the cute baby. Right. You know, the, the, the population the that makes those minion memes about... <laughs> Are, are the ones that are really into the Grogu thing. And so we won those guys over too, but we also have the cool Jason Bourne Star Wars lore guy. And like, right. you know, peanut butter and jelly. Can we make right. it work? Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, for for sure. And I mean, I, I think when Star Wars, it's at its absolute best is when it's exploring and expanding its own universe. And I think what Star Wars is at its worst is when it's, like, held on its noose of its own, like, legacy, if that makes sense. Right. Like, you know, like, I, like I'm like i okay with, you know, the idea of maybe a, of a, a jaded Luke Skywalker that kind of has realized that, you know, him giving his entire life to the Jedi, you know, wasn't, you know, wasn't all it's cracked up to be. But then to have him totally just like disregard his lightsaber, or to hit, for him to like completely you know disregard all of his character growth and have yeah. you know like and to have like the redemption that he did, it's just like oh, this isn't what I really signed up for. Like I think it's at that point it's like it's it's held its legacy, it's you know it's held at at gunpoint. Where but then where it just kind of explores and expands its universe. Like I love Solo. Like I think it's so great because you get to see the side of Star Wars that you don't normally get to see, and it's just such a, a a big, huge, wonderful universe. And when it's just when you're able to explore it and other characters, I think is when Star Wars is at its best. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I I just hope that that Din Din Djarin's story um, doesn't get that legacy choking treatment, and instead it gets to he gets to be a lens for us to kind of explore the the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's like a, probably a six hour conversation I could have with you over Mm. one particular like novel series that dared to take the original trilogy and put it into like a brand new, like brand new bad guys, brand new rules, uh, brand new risks. And it's the prime vector series. And I I dare not open that can of worms, but I've been... (laughs) interested in getting into that and you know a lot of diehard star wars fans 
who grew up with those novels, they wanted more because let's face it, Star Wars ended in the 90s and all that we had were the novels. Right. And so those people were saying, oh, you're resurrecting Star Wars? Oh, so you're going to go with the novels, right? And then, no. So oh. I'm actually curious to know about if those novels were ever going to make a comeback. Right. And I mean, I I would say probably, probably not just because you know, right around the merger uh, when Star Wars acquired Lucasfilms, they kind of did away with all that. They, you know, they kind of did away with all the books and saying that they're not canon. But, you know, also at the same time, you know, uh, Dave Dave Filoni and, uh, has been saying and bringing a lot of stuff that wasn't canon back, kicking and screaming into canon, like Thrawn, like Revan, and you know, I you know, never say never, but you know, who who knows? So we're never going to get the new Jedi Order series, which kills off Chewbacca and <laughs> invents this alien race that like hates like technology and uses like these unconventional ways to be like terrorists. Yeah, I know it's there's there's so much cool stuff that that happens in you know the Dark Horse comics too, and right. you know like one of my favorite Star Wars characters of all time is Mara Jade, and you know I, I keep holding out hope that you know maybe we'll get her someday, and so far I'm been very disappointed, but um, yeah, I, I, I it's 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 sad. Porn went out. Pour one out. Yeah. Um, but, you know, overall, I mean, I guess closing thoughts. Um, yeah, I I personally, I liked um, season three of The Mandalorian. I, I do think it was the weaker of the three seasons. Um, and it, it definitely felt like a, tr- it felt like a season 2.5 instead of a season three. Right. Um, but, you know, I I still enjoyed it. I still think it's, you know, among the best that's on the television right now. Right. In terms of like new <laughs> stuff and, you know, as mm-hmm. you know, for better or for worse, I you know, I, I'm a I'm a Star Wars sucker. I'm a Star Wars shill. And um whatever comes out, I'm gonna go see it. And uh yeah, that, that I, and I don't know if that is a ringing endorsement yeah. or not, but um yeah, like I'll I, I I enjoyed it at least. And I do hope that you give it a, a second go at it, Mike. I, I definitely think the second half of the season is stronger than the first half. Mm-hmm. And if if only for the last three episodes, if you just check those three out, um I wouldn't I wouldn't blame you. Well, yeah. I I have to give credit where credit is due. The idea of the, the suffering hero trying to find redemption through the baptism waters of Mandalore seemed like a really cool idea like it's it's got depth it's it's definitely not a children's story and so right i like that you know they could have gone a lot of places with that right um, i think by episode episode three they're like all right stop mourning stop being sad get to the action right. you're you're officially a, a bounty hunter again you know mm-hmm. yeah for but, sure i i wish that they took I wish that they took a little bit more time. I know it was an eight-episode season, but even if it was, like, 
10 or 12 and then just spent a little bit more time you know with you know him exploring mandalore a little bit or him struggling with Bo-Katan or like trying to get the mandalorians back on their side if they just spent yeah. a little bit more time developing that i think that would have been really cool but eight episodes felt too short yeah it could have been it could have been eight episodes of him just trying to earn the love of the mandalore the mandalorian guild and like having to go through like the eight labors of hercules for them and maybe he finds out that it's not worth it like like these people are not worth pleasing maybe they 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 cancel like they call him out they say you can't you can't own a baby and be part of the mandalorian and he has to choose you know that that kind of stuff goes deep right for sure for sure yeah no i i I totally agree but you know for those of you hopefully we haven't spoiled anything if you haven't seen it yet if you haven't seen it yet what are you doing go watch it i know Um, but uh yeah no i i i i I do want to say that a lot of times i know it seems like we're we're pretty critical of, of stuff that people love um on this podcast but I like to think that I'm so critical because I love it so much. Like I love Marvel. I love I love Star Wars. I love seeing those things. I love DC. I want DC to succeed too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because I love it so much, I I, I want it to be the best that it can be. And um, yeah, so I, I just hope that Star Wars keeps mm-hmm. pumping out stuff. And you know, yeah. honestly, sometimes you know maybe this is an unpopular opinion, but you know, bad Star Wars is better than no Star Wars. Right. I'm kind of like the husband whose wife is into some reality TV show, and it's like, I can never join this conversation with you, but I'm happy that it makes you happy. Mm, and for sure. Star Wars always makes people happy, Like, and I'll never get why, but I'm <laughs> so happy for you because there's so few fandoms in this world that hit the spot. Mm, for sure, for sure. And you know, I, I think Star Wars is always going to get the critique of, like, it could, um, it has the potential to have such a, um, to be able to explore deeper, more mature, more sensitive topics, or to have, like, a more serious tone, and I think the default for Star Wars is always going back to um, childlike things, and I think that's always going to be the critique, and I can understand why someone might not necessarily want that or desire that mm-hmm. always and so i'll never blame someone that 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 doesn't necessarily right you know always like it as much as <laughs> i do but um yeah i i think that's part of its charm i mean we are talking about a late 70s comic book that right, was exactly. raised up by jim henson i mean right. that, was, that was the graphics budget was jim henson and puppets right i that's what made it special and if you don't like it for that then you probably don't like star wars you probably should be watching i don't know halo yeah right right (laughs) or 2001 a space odyssey right right you should be watching those if you're not into puppets get away from star wars yeah go watch starship troopers or yeah babylon ad Um, i mean yoda was voiced by miss piggy Oh my gosh! Thank uh, God memes weren't invented back then. Right, right. Oh my goodness, that's yeah. so good. 
But Mike, man, what a what a great what a great podcast. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we 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 miss our, you know, we miss our other co-hosts, and we right. Why are um, we spending this late to talk about him? <laughs> there was yeah. There's this other guy that usually talks, and he's very. Uh, he has some very great insights about movies, and I hope he makes it this long in the episode to know that we actually mentioned him. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll cut this part out and put it at the beginning, and we'll oh. put it, we'll put a disclaimer. But um, yeah, I mean, do we do? Should we? I don't know. It feels kind of late now, but I don't know. Justin, we... we're so sorry. Yeah, we're so sorry. We know you can't make it. We miss you. Yeah. Um. Yeah, never think that we're replacing you. Never. You're you're irreplaceable. You have reasons for not being here, and yeah. one day you will reveal them to the world. Right. You'll you're, you'll be like a a fifty year old uh, Jedi youngling that survived <laughs> Order sixty six, and you'll you'll come back in all your glory with a nice face, Papa, and. Uh, you'll you'll save us from all of this. You'll be and... a season five callback that makes all the fans go, "Oh no, he didn't." Oh, I remember that guy. He's so cool. Yes, <laughs> yes, that is what you're gonna be. So, please pretend we said this at the beginning. Oh, you you didn't have the the Eston action figure from Burger King from 1998. You're not a true fan. Oh my gosh, I read the whole Eston novel series. It makes Star Wars so much better. <laughs> and it just gives it a certain gravitas. Yeah, right? Oh man. Yeah, well, we we miss you, buddy, and um, mm-hmm. you know, I you know, the you know, in the the in the interim, we'll we'll miss you for for sure and um yeah, the door's always open, buddy. Door's always open. Um yeah, literally just say I want to be in this episode and you're there. You're in, you're in. Yes. Um, but yeah, any, uh, but besides that, uh, you know, any, any closing, any closing well, thoughts before we sign off? June is our star Wars month. Yes. And we're talking about star Wars, but I think we covered everything. So there might not be anything left to talk about the series that's been around for 50 years. Yeah, no. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm okay if we want to we want to move on to something else. I mean, we could we'll we'll talk about it off screen maybe, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll figure something out. We'll see. We'll we'll noodle around, and we might just talk about the Andromeda series starring her. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. I'd love to to do a, a vintage throwback. Uh, I know I talked about Indiana Jones at the beginning of the series, but I am seeing a rescreening of it tomorrow. So I mean, I'm all for you know, a nineties throwback and we want to talk about George of the Jungle or something, we can make that happen. Right. It's the summer of George. So yeah. all right. Anyways, thank you for joining us. Uh go to our Retrologic Discord and be part of the conversation. And uh we we're just so happy that you guys are the reasons that we're talking into microphones. So Absolutely. Yeah um, we, I've we been love Mike. you guys. I'm Adam. All right, and have a great day. Goodbye, mwah, or night. Good morning! I'm just that way. Houston, we have a problem. Why me Are you not entertained? Why so serious? It's alive, it's alive! The snozzberries taste like snozzberries.
Sperry. <laughs>